0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it should be like mandatory coffee or something <laughs> at this day, because uh, it was for it. But we're gonna go ahead uh, and jump in. And so I will pray for us and we we'll go, for it. Uh Father God, we come to you in your mighty son Jesus' name. Uh, thank you for today. Uh, God, thank you for waking us up, even if it's hour early feels like. Uh but we thank you. Uh pray that you would open up Uh, Your word. Uh, Pray that you would continue to, uh, God, teach us uh, from this rich African American tradition and heritage Uh, that sometimes has been hidden. Uh, Lord, uh, pray that you would reveal uh, just the redemptive work that you've done uh, through the African American church. Lord God, I pray for uh, clear hearts and clear minds. And uh, pray that you would just give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear. pray that you would bless us today as we uh, talk about a particularly uh, tense uh, topic inside of this uh, history and story. I uh, just pray a blessing over us that you would be with us uh, today and that we would grow from this time as brothers and sisters in Christ. This us, in invite us Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. Hey. All right. Um, when I was in the third grade, uh, my, my parents bought me a brand new red bicycle. Uh, and it was uh, uh, everything we needed. at the time. I loved this bicycle. Uh, I would ride it all over my neighborhood. Uh, it was everything. If I had the social media at the time, I would have took just flexing <laughs> on the ground this bicycle. But the only problem with this bicycle was uh, that there was a dog in the neighborhood named Cujo. Uh, they couldn't think of a more intimidating name. Uh, they, you know. Uh, they, they need to keep working on it because I think they found it. Uh, but Cujo uh, was this full-size robber. I, I wanted nothing to do with Cujo. And uh, uh, Cujo would chase people for no reason, just for no reason. He'd like to chase people. So the problem is Cujo lived about three doors down from me, And so I would have to take an alternative path home in order to avoid Cujo. Well, one day in particular, I was uh, riding home on my bike, and I forgot to take the different path. And to the right of me, there he goes, Kujo. (laughs) So I'm pedaling as fast as I can with my little third-grade legs, as fast as I can to get away from Kujo. But sure enough, Kujo chases me just like he does and uh, bumps me off my bike, right, into a a yard, into the grass. Before I know it, I am face-to-face with my, my greatest fear at the time in the third grade. Cujo. And so what do I do when I face to face with Cujo? Ah! <laughs> I yell, Cujo uh, runs back home, and that's the end of the story. I, as far as I know, he just wanted to talk. I,
1: <laughs>
0: I had always imagined that once I got face to face with Cujo that he was gonna bite my head off and, and all of that. I bring that up to say that the topic of racism, specifically racial oppression, Specifically some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about today, like lynching, which is so ugly, it's like puja. It's something that is so uncomfortable that we can be tempted to avoid it at all costs. Uh, we can be tempted to avoid it like the coronavirus. Maybe it's too soon for that. It's <laughs> uh, we can be a, we can be tempted uh, to avoid it. But what I want us to do today is to step into that tension and engage it in a healthy, Way. Uh, in particular, this topic of lynching is very, very ugly. It's horrendi- horrendous uh, for African Americans and white Americans all the same. Because for white Americans, it can sometimes represent this ugly part of history that we are, you know, what my white brothers and sisters are ashamed of and don't want to look back at because it brings up feelings of, of, of shame and guilt. And for African Americans, it's an ugly time of history because it brings back thoughts and feelings of trauma and pain of the time uh, that really showed uh, just the, the, the powerlessness and the, and the, and the oppression that African Americans were going through at the time, and the injustice of that time. So it can be ugly, uh, and we can try to avoid it, but I want us to step into that today uh, and engage uh, that conversation. Uh, in particular, I want us to start in the Reconstruction era, which is post-Civil War, and we're going to work our way uh, to now. Uh, in the modern era, 21st century. And, and, and we're gonna talk about this issue of, uh, in many ways, African-American suffering. Uh, we're gonna look at how we can learn from the African-American tradition and how it encountered suffering and, and what the African-American church did uh, kind of to, to engage and, in many ways, push back that darkness. And so, uh, we're gonna start there uh, with the reconstruction area. And we're gonna talk a little bit about lynching. Uh, lynching, in particular, uh, was allowed to take place and was so, uh, I guess, uh, I hate to use the word effective, uh, but it was definitely a tool that was used uh, to oppose and oppress African Americans during this time of the Reconstruction era. And so let's go back to the Reconstruction era. It's the period after the Civil War. Uh, the Union troops have gone back to the North. And so now you have newly liberated or freed slaves uh, left with uh, their, their fellow Southerners uh, who, who were just fighting in the Confederate, uh, on the Confederate side of the war. So that leaves a problem. You have freedom, but you don't have power. And so during slavery, uh, those African Americans were, were kind of there was a narrative created about them being uh, docile and, and weak and maybe even non-intelligent and, 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 and like uh, pets. Well, that narrative changed once those same African Americans were free. So now you have a new narrative that's being created of them being threats, of them being dangerous, of them being a threat to life as people knew it at that time. And so, therefore, uh, lynching was enforced as a way to to maintain and to control uh, that, that population, the people at that time. It created a very awkward situation. The person who was once forced to work for free, uh, is now, now free, so you have to control them some kind of way. And lynching was that tool that was used, and uh, groups such as the KKK uh, would band together. Uh, movies uh, such as Birth of a Nation uh, were, were, were scripted and written as a way to cast this narrative that African Americans are dangerous and must be controlled in some kind of way. And so what I'm gonna do is, I'm going to dive into the ugliness for a second and share a story with you guys of a particular scenario of one of these uh, lynchings. I think it's important for us to be able to look back uh, in order to really bring some context to some things we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's a man by the name of Henry uh, Lowry. Uh, Henry Lowry uh, was a sharecropper in Mississippi County, Arkansas. Uh, while he was sharecropping he knew that he wasn't getting paid fair or adequate wages and so finally he built up the courage to go ask the man he was working for a man by the name of o.t Craig. he built up the courage uh to go ask that man uh for a raise now it's intimidating to ask for a raise at in any era, regardless of what skin color you are uh it's intimidating but as an african-american man in mississippi county arkansas in 1919 this was uh, this was extremely courageous. So he knocks on the door on Christmas Day, hoping that this would potentially lead to a little bit more empathy. Uh, on Christmas Day, asks for a raise. Uh, when that happens, uh, he is shot uh, by the man who he was working for O.T.K. Uh, this is a real life scenario. He's he shot. He is injured, but he. he Shot back. Actually, he brought a weapon to defend himself. Is a gunfight happening? He shoots back. After he shot. Well, he 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 shoots Ot Craig. Ot Craig doesn't make it. It's an old oh, crap moment. What do I do? Uh, if I go to the hospital, no one's <laughs> going to uh, uh, view my side of this as just or adequate in any kind of way. Uh, and so there's no, there's going to be no consideration for these circumstances. And so he flees, uh, Henry Lyra frees to El Paso, Texas. Uh, when he flees to El Paso, Texas, he isn't free for long. Uh, he's actually uh, captured, brought back uh, to uh, Mississippi County, Arkansas, and is put on trial. I'm gonna read this, and then I wanna just ask you guys some questions to so chime in on this one. Uh, so this is Henry Lyra retur- returning. It says, on January 26, 1921, a crowd of 500 people came to watch Henry Lowry die. Lowry was able, uh, Lowry was to die by burning at the stake. Uh, and his observers saw this as the appropriate justice for what he had done. Some even saw it as entertainment. It was common for people to watch a lynching over a nice picnic lunch. Uh, Parenthetically speaking, even there's uh, on record people were able to get out of school, uh, excused absences to go to here, here. From Central High School, that's on, that's on record. Right. Uh, a Memphis press reporter on the scene described the atrocious details of Larry's lynching saying, And quote, inch by inch, the Negro was fair cooked to death. Every few uh, minutes, fresh leaves were tossed on the funeral pile until the blaze had passed the Negro's waist, as the Flames were eating away his abdomen. A member of the mob stepped forward uh, and saturated the body uh, with, this is hard to guess, like, saturated the body with gasoline. It was then only a few minutes until the Negro had been reduced uh, to ashes. And uh, even the Memphis press reported this and, and called this a quote unquote outstanding legend success. This is, uh, this is, very very horrifying and so the question I would like to pose before we go any little further is what do you think uh, are the components of a society and even a church that would allow Christianity to kind of run, run alongside that and even be complicit or involved in any, any thoughts like what are the components of a society that allows that to take place like how does that happen? Uh, I don't Here are our, our thoughts on that. Because uh, just, you know, just justifying it happen. by mm-hmm. scripture. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, when you go back to Paul and it says, you know, slaves obey your masters, and, and I think that just kind of comes from the pre-Civil War, Civil War era. I mean, it just continues to flow why would that change, right? Mm-hmm. So they they misuse scripture for their own dominance, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think fear. Yeah. People turn up the dial and just
3: justify their actions when there's some sort of fear Yeah. They feel afraid and
0: threatened that anything is justified. You know. Yeah. I think that I think that's so true. I think, like you said, John, this, you can't crucify, or not crucify, you can't lynch a human. So you have to create something else. You have to define them in, in some kind of other way. And if you're a Christian, God has to be okay with it. And so, uh, in order for you to feel uh, at, at, at peace about it, be able to sleep at So I think what we believe about the scripture and what we believe about the word of God and, and how God speaks to us is so valuable uh, Because I think that, uh, as you said, some of that misteaching, the fear of Anybody else, any other thoughts on that? I can think him. about the way that uh I think there's also that
4: kind of yeah. mind. Yeah. So, oh yes, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, maybe even the great misuses of, you we talking earlier in scripture, but just focusing on certain portions of mm. the Bible as a whole, it, 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 it very much stands against everything that was going on, but there's obviously just, we want to hone in on these portions. Yeah. Which,
0: Yeah, cherry picking scriptures. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, the title of the talk today was "The Cross in the Lychen Tree," and that uh, actually stems from a book called "The Cross in the Lynch and Tree" by Arthur, the theologian by the name of James Cohn. He wrote a book by the name of uh, "The Cross in the Lychen Tree," uh, and uh, just a disclaimer about Cone: uh, I, I don't like everything that Kohn teaches. Some of you may know of Kohn, uh, a seminary professor at University Union Theological Seminary in New York. I think that, that's what it is. Uh, so, do not line with everything that Kohn says. I'll say throw that out there. But, uh, this book in particular, uh, The Cross and the Tree*, just does a good job of juxtaposing uh, the cross and the crucifixion and the ugliness of it and the beauty and the inverse of that as well with... Uh, lynching which uh, is obviously just as ugly and uh, horrendous uh, in in its own way and so he does a good job of paralleling those two uh, realities uh, and and doing it in such a way to bring meaning to the suffering for African Americans at the time in the lynching era. And so uh, a little bit about Cone, Um, uh, he grew up in Arkansas which was a lynching state, and so his family was under the terror of lynching. Uh, he grew up here in his family. Talk about it. He grew up with that with that reality of lynching in the air around him, and so this was very real for him, and he grew up in the church, in the AME church. Uh, his tension was this. Uh, he, he, he said, uh, how does one reconcile the reality of white and black Christians uh, worshiping the same God, uh, but blacks being lynched uh, by whites on church grounds, uh, and the church being complicit or involved with the lynching. So, I mean, as a, a human being, you, you're wrestling with that. Uh, he, he didn't get it. Uh, we, we supposedly worship the same God, uh, but my, my, my white brothers and sisters are complicit or involved. Ministers are involved. This is happening on church grounds. Uh, it's being, lynches would be blessed by pastors, uh, like, how does this work? And so he, he went on a real, honest uh, search uh, as a theologian uh, to to kind of find meaning for his situation and for African Americans. And so uh, he uh, went on to get a you know, PhD and to, to really study uh, theology from the from an African American oppressed uh, perspective. Uh, in particular, uh, with with this uh, book, uh, he really wanted to hone in on the cross in particular, uh, he, he felt, uh, he said that the cross helps me to understand lynching, and lynching helped me to understand the cross. Uh, because the cross has been sanitized and deodorized of its original context, it's become an ornament. And so that's what kind of bothered Cone, like this, this horrendous, ugly uh, symbol uh, and, and, and the tool used by God Uh, during the the crucifixion has been turned into like something that we wear as jewelry. It is uh, novel, it's lost its power, it's lost its meaning. When if you really look at the cross, it is is a horrendous and ugly sight. It's horrendous and ugly because it's sin, God bringing justice on sin. It's the son of God uh, being tortured and crucified on a cross. And he said, looking at lynching and the horror of lynching actually made him understand and grasp the reality of the nature of the cross, uh, as well, but there's there, there's the, the the other side of it that great inverse of God used something so ugly <laughs> and so horrendous to bring about uh, life and restoration and hope. So I sent him on the planet uh, to learn more about it. And so can somebody read Acts ten thirty nine because this is kind of uh, the verse that he starts off with in the book. I'll read a quote from him as we find that. He says, unfortunately, during the course of 2,000 years of Christian history, uh, the symbol of salvation, the cross, has been detached from any reference to the ongoing suffering and the oppression of human beings. Has anybody got it yet? Acts 10.39.
2: And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree.
0: I want to play a song for us. I'm going to play three songs if we have time. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm going to play these songs is uh, Cone emphasized in the book how, at this point in history, especially in the Reconstruction era, during the era of lynching, African-Americans had no political power. And so there was no, there was no you know, voting anybody in or out of office or writing a letter to your congressman or any of that. It was. Uh, all the African Americans had was, he said, religion in the blues. And so music, religion and the blues, offered the greatest resistance uh, to uh, the oppression that they were going through at the time. It allowed them to be human, it allowed them to put words to what they were going through, and particularly songs in the church. And so uh, this song, in particular that I'm about to play now, isn't necessarily a Negro spiritual, uh, but I want us to listen to it as as we think about the cross and the reality of what the cross really is um, because sometimes we can uh, take away the real meaning of the cross so you you probably have heard this a million times but i want you to listen to it with fresh ears and reflect on the reality of the cross can everybody hear that listen to that to take some time ref- to reflect on it, because I want us to have some discussion about this. Uh, as you listen to that and then thought about the nature and reality of what the cross really is, uh, in, in, in your opinion, in what ways has the cross uh, been cleaned up or made to be novel in our, in our society or been deodorized of its original context to me? Not everything in the cushion looks (laughs) fine. Okay.
5: What hospitals do, mm-hmm. um, so I know how certain hospitals they use the cross as like a symbol of like any hope mm-hmm. for the yeah.
6: <clears throat> I Yeah. It's often used as a good luck charm, mm-hmm. like if you can have a cross you know, hanging from your rearview mirror, hung up in your house, yeah like bring you good luck. So no. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about that song. It said, "Did air such love and sorrow meet?" Mm. And it really is hard if you don't appreciate the whole meaning of the cross. It's hard to like see both of those things in there. Yeah. Because like, yeah, it is an instrument of death and suffering, but also people do use it as jewelry and beauty because it's it's beautiful and it's what it means to us. Like, how can you see both of those things at, at the same time? Yes.
0: Yeah. It's the great paradox. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the beauty of it that that life comes from it. That life comes from something so dark. And even uh, critics of the Christian faith would say, "How can you guys? How can Black Christians still follow this Jesus and, and identify with this Jesus?" Uh, uh, but Cone talks about how. Uh, uh, particularly during this time of suffering, African Americans identified with that crucifixion, identified, identified with that suffering and identified with that pain, but also identified with that great future hope of a resurrection. And so uh, he, would, he talked about how uh, in, in the black church, you're always gonna hear the preacher go towards the cross. I don't care where else he's been in that sermon. He's going he gonna to get to that cross and he jokes and says that the cross has saved the many a bad sermon. Uh, because <laughs> if you're messing up, uh, uh, the, the preacher can always go back to that cross and just talk about how uh, just in the church, there was just great identification uh, with, with, with the cross and, and the hope that it brings. And so, yes, it, it is beautiful. It is horrible, but it is ugly, and that's just the great paradox of our faith. That's the great paradox of the cross. Uh, but it's—I think—it's easier for us to embrace the beauty of it, and it's—we like it's, don't want to deal with the ugly side of it. But the nature is, we were—we were born in sin, and the Son of God had to die <laughs> for sin, and it is that ugly because our sin is that ugly. Uh, but the beautiful side of it is that beautiful, and so. It's not a decision to make, but it's really a tension to manage. It's a tension that we really have to manage, and uh, you know, uh, hold it in the right, right tension. Um, and so, you know, there's a parallel between you know that suffering uh, through lynching and that suffering on the cross, and that's why African Americans were able to uh, identify with it so well. Uh, moving forward, uh, Emmett Till. Uh, uh, was 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 lynched, uh, and that was supposed to kind of silence African Americans. It was so brutal, it was so ugly, it was so horrid, and that was supposed to uh, you know ins- kind of instill fear even more. But it had the inverse effect. That was actually the moment that catalyzed uh, the civil rights movement in a lot of ways because it was after that, just a few weeks later, that Rosa Parks uh, stayed in her seat on the, on the bus in Alabama. Uh, because she, it, the, the black community had kind of gotten to the point of it's, it's enough, enough is enough. Like another 14-year-old boy doesn't need to go through that. And you kind of see this uh, resurgence uh, in, in the church. And Martin Luther King Jr. comes around, uh, the, and the black church Kind of really uh, catalyzes this this civil rights movement uh, more so than any other institution. Uh, you can look at you know, the government, what they did, and other social entities, but it was the black church that really stepped into this and, and led uh, led that movement. And King's understanding of the cross uh, actually uh, led that movement. And it was his faith in Christ that allowed him uh, to to endure, and so. When I look at that, I think that shows us an example of something that we can learn from the African-American uh, tradition. Even as I look back, as a, as a younger African-American, I can, I can learn from that in uh, how to endure and suffer well, but not necessarily in a passive way. And so uh, you know, King and those who, who followed that nonviolent path, who carried that cross at the time and saw it as their, their burden to do so, Uh, didn't just uh, take the abuse and the beating and the shaming for the sake of taking it, Uh, but there was uh, hope of some kind of change. Uh, King said, uh, justice is what love looks like in public. And so if you want to know what it looks like to love through uh, a bigger system or love in public, it looks like justice and care for the marginalized uh, in the least of these. And so um, I want to ask just a few questions about that. Do you agree, as we talk about the cross and its ugliness being transformed into something beautiful, do you agree that suffering can be transformed into a creative force? Uh, And that's just very real for all of us. We all deal with suffering, it may not look like uh, racialized, systematized suffering like that, uh, but just in general, do you agree that suffering can be transformed into a creative force? force? Creative force. Uh, Mrs. King took that suffering and moved forward with it with the Civil Rights Movement and used it as a creative force.
3: That's I don't know um, about creative force
7: mm-hmm. as much as um, um, Scripture tells us all things work together mm-hmm. for our good mm-hmm. to those who love God and God. And so what happens is is that um, uh, scripture helps us to move through the situation Mm -hmm. with a different mindset. Mm -hmm. And because you have a different mindset of um, um, positive, hopeful, Mm -hmm. um, believing the perspective of the negative. really uh, that was really the statement of uh, dr. Martin Luther King his understanding of the Bible and that if we actually lived the tenets of the word then um, love is justice. <laughs>
2: From the pain of the artist, mm-hmm. and yeah, so in that way, it's like it is one of the powerful Yeah, I was,
4: I was gonna, you know going off what you, you said. Yeah, there's a um, some, yeah, some of the greatest stories I do believe can come from the like think about all these stories that have these incredible happy endings. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the best, greatest endings come from there's a whole lot of suffering. Somehow mm-hmm. this is some some greatness has been created and you have to you have to have that suffering or to really appreciate that And um, yeah, just looking at the definition of it, like creative it's related to or involving imagination original ideas. If you take out original and just think about origin, like originally we were meant to have this great love for God. Yeah. And that was, that was, what, was what we were meant to have. So I think that, yeah, the, the, the suffering of Jesus brought us back to that idea, the, the, to back to the, the truth, mm-hmm. which is that you are, you are loved by God. And, yeah. and you were you 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 sent for you, so. Yeah. Yes, and then Yeah, I was just going
8: to say um, that in the New Testament, I think what many of the, the writers, and what we see in Christ is that the pattern that suffering makes way for glory. Yeah. But I think that hinges on um, how we suffer. Mm. If we are entrusting ourselves to God and not to bitterness mm. um, and into our pain, but how we suffer really can make way for something greater. Yeah. As people um, watch, you know, just even think about like the Paul's suffering Inside of suffering in prison, yeah. when the Philippian jailer like had left them alone, but then their suffering yeah. made way for his salvation yeah. in the end. it just, um, but I think it matters how we suffer. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the civil rights movement was this embracing of suffering yeah. for, um, in order to make the way forward for greater dignity yeah. um, for African Americans it matters how we do it,
6: that we that we don't let bitterness um, plague us, and which leads to violence or whatever in that case. But and I, to add on that, I don't think we can, we not underestimate the power of the gospel and the cross to speak into that. I think the Christian leaders of the civil rights movement really helped us to understand that the gospel both helps you in the midst of your suffering because of the idea that it can be redemptive and creative but it also gives you hope that you can actually work for something better and that real true transformation can happen and i think we shouldn't underestimate that i mean eastern religions you know it's like well all of life is suffering and it's just an illusion and it's just you know you're kind of you just want to escape Mm -hmm. um whereas i think some Social justice work that doesn't have any type of religious empowerment to it is, you know, they can't see any redemptive value in it. Sub- Not that like, suffering is good if you do it, but it's like there's no power to deal with the reality of current suffering as part of like bringing about hope. And I just think that, you know, Kellman, I Dr. King, and a lot of other Christian leaders of the right movement. Understood that, and were able to articulate that for
0: us. Yeah, I think that's the big difference. Like you said, like you have a these people were hoping in God. Uh, They they didn't have the political power, the political means, uh, influence to really pull anything off. You had to believe that there was a God, King of the universe, who was looking down and actually cared about you. I think that's the miracle. The fact that you could still, like you said, Daniel, not go bitter and believe that God still loves you as you get called boy, as you get beat, as these systems are unjust, just to still believe that there's a king up there who loves and cares about you and is providentially working things out for you. I, like the the ability to believe that is the miracle. Uh, just my reformed faith, you know, perseverance of the saints, even just cling to that doctrine. Uh, God working through these people, keeping their faith steadfast in the midst of this uh, is is every bit of miraculous. The, the ability to still be able to love, the ability to be able to sing, the ability to be able to worship God uh, in the midst of these great uh, contradictions and suffering, it's, it's a miracle. And so I had another song I was going to play. I want you to listen to the difference in the moods and the beat. Right, and so it's an old, oldest song you're probably familiar with. Nobody Knows the Trouble I've seen. Nobody Knows My Sorrow. Yes, i I'm sorry,
7: but if I could just say one thing, um, and that is um, um, I don't want us to believe that you have to have suffering in order to develop richness and depth, because then what occurs is, is that um, people will misuse and be abusive. For the sake that
0: they're believing that they are bringing up good. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want I want us to see uh, the 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 transition, even in the syncopation of the of the music, uh, with this song that nobody knows. A trouble i saying, and just this this song is you know post Martin Luther King, uh, post uh, great one of the greatest tragedies that ever happened to America, and just. I want you to hear how this, uh, this choir and this singer disengage the suffering, somehow still able to believe. This 1970, a little bit more beat, a little bit more hope. <laughs> <laughs> but still dealing with the suffering. How do you find hope in contemporary situations of suffering and oppression? How do you find hope? Because I think it's something that you maybe have to find. Of course, God had worked in this. Uh, King wanted to quit a ton. It's, it's chronicled in his stories. His days, he didn't want to go to certain cities. He was threatened before he came here to Memphis. I still preach a powerful sermon. I've been to the mountaintops I'm still able to preach hope. People still are able to get out on the streets and march and hold up signs to say, I am a man. That's something deep in the recesses of the heart uh, uh, that, that's taking place where a person has to go in there and, and find that hope. Uh, yeah. So how do you find hope in contemporary situations of suffering and or oppression?
5: To our, to perfect us and to complete us, um, but then also too, I think to remind us that we won't have to suffer when this life is it passes. So mm-hmm. it it kind of allows me to not hold on to the things of this world and realize yeah. mm-hmm. that like we won't be suffering um, later. Yeah, those who believe, and then I think just for for me, I think. It allows you to connect, like kind of connect with the idea that Jesus is suffering. Then also like to realize like there are so many people around us that are suffering and they may not have the same skin complexion um, and they may be suffering for various different reasons, mm-hmm. but there's this empathy that's there mm-hmm. that allows you to connect more. And that, that can be about, that can bring about gospel conversations, just an example of love in that moment.
0: Yeah. Anybody else? How do you, how do you find it? Because it could potentially help somebody in the room.
9: I think for me it's, it's more so of having to to like embrace it, I guess, in a sense. Of yeah. like Embracing that suffering is a thing, that oppression is a thing. And like from there, I think it's, it's either, either or, it's like, what do I do with that? And now that I've embraced it, it's either I'm going to sit in that and just be depressed all the time, come to the Lord and give it over to him and like that's where I'm able to find my hope and that's I feel like you know as I, I think what well, just kind of said at this point but just that's my connection with Jesus like, Yeah. what sweeter way that you get to um, experience who, who the Lord is by like going through suffering and going through oppression the same way that Jesus did through his entire life almost, especially the last three years you know and so I think like having to be like, finding that hope, one in Jesus, and then, like, uh, just, just kind of how he was saying was, like, finding a community around that, too, of, like, you know, it's not, and I think sometimes we get caught up in the mindset of, like, well, I'm just on the only going through this, mm-hmm. and we shut ourselves off to the world, we we we, we played to the devil's hand eventually, mm-hmm. basically, I think, so. I just, like, what do you do with that oppression, and what do you yeah, oppression and suffering, I think that's, like, trying to, that's how you can get to the hope that you desire, that you want, and that's through Jesus. I like um, what you said about, like, kind of looking at it and embracing it, because I think the wrong
7: way to do it is to pretend, like, either on a personal or a systemic level that it's not there, because that's not really faith. Like, if you're ignoring the facts, that's not faith. Yeah. Um yeah having that confidence in eternity of the day of the Lord is coming where the lofty will be brought low mm-hmm. right and like um, that that is the reality that we can we can just be unshakably confident in it, that even if we can't see it now um, that it's yeah. mm-hmm. and honestly I think that's, a, that's the that's intention of like even like growing in faith it's like I believe I'm still struggling. It's like I know um I'm, I'm a I'm a stranger on this earth. I know in the new Jerusalem, I know Jesus is returning. I know like God has kept me and you know kept us throughout this life. It's like that's my hope. But right now, it's still this sense of like, God, how long? Mm-hmm. Um I think that's biblical as well. Like we even see that with David and sons, like, God, where are you? Mm-hmm. How long I like, like That's how James
0: Cone closes the book, by the way. That's how he closes the book, book. Psalm 13.
7: And I think, like, that's a healthy place to learn to be in as well. I think when it comes to these conversations, so often it's easy to just jump to, you know, but God has a plan and, you know, God is good. Um, And we ignore, like, the the heart-level sorrow God invites us to, to enter in and walk in, and I think even as I walk through that, like I find, my, I find God meeting me in that place, and God restoring me in a personal way um, in that place of God where I'm in God. I God. got. to how long will God believe us this sense of peace and saying, okay i I feel walking with you.
0: Um, you, still, you still are God. Even I'm there. We got uh, one more minute left, uh, but just uh, thank y'all for diving into this. This is ugly, uh, but beautiful. Uh, and I also want to say this the, the, the tension of this conversation is for it not to uh, uh, cheapen uh, grace uh, and to cheapen the gospel. I think the beauty of this conversation is there is a redemptive thread through history, and that, that person of that thread is Jesus Christ. But the other reality is we still live in a fallen and broken world, and so we do not want to say, thank God for the cross, uh, you know, Jesus saved us from our sins, I'm glad oppression is over, God. We still live in a fallen world. And there's a component to this uh, suffering that still exists for for minorities. Uh, That's a component of the gospel that is very costly. Uh, uh, Reconciliation doesn't just happen. Reconciliation happens uh, with, uh, yes, the two parties coming together, but through restoration as well. And that's where we still live uh, in that tension of today, that we live in a world where uh, there's, there was oppression that took place, there was systemic evils that took place, and the remnants of that still exist. And a dangerous thing we could do as Christians would, would be to blindfold to it and just get straight to the redemptive part. And So I think there's a part of us that still needs to uh, struggle for to still, con- Think about it, consider what does it look like for me to carry my cross now in 21st century America when there's still examples of oppression in the world. It may not look like a lynching. Uh, It may look like a young African-American man getting shot by police, unjustly unarmed, and and not receiving justice in court. So what does that look like for us to press into that and carry our crosses in a a humble and godly way, just like King and and the others during civil rights movement? Did. But I just wanted to say that because I think that's the danger uh, for us to be able to miss it because it's not as overt uh, right now. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it's straight up overt. Uh, but for the most part, some of this stuff is a little bit harder to discern. And so uh just wanted to leave us with that and encourage us to continue to follow the Lord uh, in that. I think that is our. That was a good reminder, even though that wasn't intentional. But it tells me it's time to roll. But thank y'all. I'll pray to How about that? We're in church. How about that? Actually, uh, Father God, we come here in his Son, Jesus' name. Thank you for the day. We pray that you would help us to follow you and to carry our cross into uh, love, even when it's hard, God. Right? Uh, and show us what it looks like to, uh, to live for you in this world. Uh, it's in your son Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen.